All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rock. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? You guys need to muscle up. I'm in my prime. Out of your mind. Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live, that's not, I'm not a cat. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> Just had to throw in that little. Uh, awesome. <clears throat> so, I don't know. Did we talk about that last episode? We did. Holy shit! I can't get enough of it. And yeah, it's, what was it you told me though? Because he is now taking off. At first, off he of was. It. At first, he was really embarrassed for himself, which I think that happens a lot of times, especially like. Well, he's older. And... He's a, he's a little bit older, and he. he you know, used to doing everything in person. This was this was a Zoom hearing with the judge and other lawyers, so I think he just felt a little embarrassed, but now everybody is just loving, and I'm loving him. I, I watch it, like, every day. And <laughs> I think he's realizing that everybody's been in this kind of position before. I mean, it's, it's newer technology. Everybody's made a little faux pas. I mean, we've seen people who... They are, they're in Zoom meetings and they've got their, you know, dress shirt on the top and then they stand up and they've got shorts, shorts on, on, on the bottom or just like underwear or something. So it's it's a whole new world, but he's he's fully embracing it. I am embracing it. My Even my little logo or avatar or profile picture, whatever it's called, on Facebook is now the lawyer can. Yeah, so I think like... You know, that's probably going to be like one of those sound bites that we're going to just use periodically or throw in there when we want to have a laugh. Oh, God. It was just so... And just watching the video, the cat's eyes were, like, so sad, and they were just, like, darting back and forth because it looked like the cat was panicking. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I'm not a cat. Anywho. Oh my goodness, sorry. Episode 104 of the Hordes of Chaos here on the Metal Time Radio Podcast. I am DJ Anubis. And I am DJ Neko. And uh, we've got some things to get to today. Uh, we also are continuing our uh, movie vault selections, which we'll get to later in the show. Uh, you'll be hearing about the Wayne's World review that we did. We went back and revisited after Neko's pick. Um, 
uh, passing about Rush Limbaugh. We'll get to that a little bit. Uh, also, Joe Bob Briggs, who we're a big fan of, has something come up. And then also, Neko found some information about Soundgarden, which we'll get to later as well. Uh, probably in our first segment, though, we're going to get to the Mortal Kombat trailer. That's the hottest thing going on right now with Facebook and social media. Uh, Neko and I have both been able to check it out, me a little bit more than her. So, uh, mainly because I've just been at it since this morning. So, once again, well, see, really... for me, with, um, yeah, I, I haven't been on social media until like just a second ago. I, um, I was, uh, exercising, but <laughs> I, um, I try with these trailers because he keeps wanting to show me all these different trailers, like, especially with the new Godzilla coming up. I, I think what killed the, I did not hate King of the Monsters. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. But I think what killed it for me is they made too many trailers and I watched them too many times. Especially the one where they reveal Mothra like going, ha! Ah. So I feel like I watched it and I saw all the spoilers. They revealed too much in the trailer yeah, for I, me. It, it, it's a common complaint. So that's why I don't want to watch too many trailers for Mortal Kombat but or was, the new Godzilla. I was actually fine with the first two. Even one where it showed Mothra doing her little scream as she's flying. Mm. Uh, but I get your point too because I think back to 2014 Godzilla. And this is something that people talk about, not just us. When we're watching at the drive-in the look that we both gave each other when Godzilla's tail lit up for the first time was like just because they didn't really reveal a lot they never did they didn't reveal a lot of about what the movie in was fact, even about well you, you started to catch like the other monsters no but all. I'm talking about in the trailers like you just kind of saw oh he is all hail the king you know like they would just show like little snippets of things and but they never showed his breath in the trailer for uh, and, the first one and in the first one like when they were they did not allude to this but when he was coming out of the water for the first time in Hawaii Hawaii is not big I've been there and you are like you go from top bottom side to side in like 6 hours it is not a big island look well that's the big island of Hawaii and if you go to any of the smaller islands it's even so when they were like oh my god tsunami warning and here he comes I was like grabbing his arm going holy shit Holy shit! I appreciated that movie more because they just are like, yeah, this is a, the Godzilla movie. And then when we got King of the Monsters, they just blew their load in a hundred different trailers. That's pretty much it. They blew their load. Like I, There was so much excitement. I mean, that first teaser trailer for King of the Monsters where all you really got was a silhouette of King Ghidorah at the end. That would have been fine. It, it really would have. I mean, I, like I said, I still enjoyed the second one where we actually saw his tail and you know, a little bit more of what Ghidorah was, but... Don't get us it, wrong, we loved King of the Monsters. We have five does. movie posters in our living room of King of the Monsters. It's actually my favorite Godzilla movie of all time. Top five. Wow. Now, I've gone through my rank, is obviously I have that, uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 74, G14, Godzilla 2000, and of course Final War. So that's like my top five right there. Uh, and that's not to say I don't enjoy any other I Godzilla I do love movies. the Mecha Godzilla one. That's the one with the aliens and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. And they're they're like, we're aliens, but we look like people. And then like they did this really horrible transformation. It's like, monkeys. I'm like, what the fuck was that? But it's so corny. It's great. 
I think you need to give your top five to the fat samurai guy on YouTube and let him know that that's your because t- he loves Godzilla too. Oh, I think they probably see me. Yeah, they, he actually he has seen me posted before, you know. But then again, everybody was posting their top five, so it always varies from person to person. Now with the Godzilla and Kong trailers, uh, I, I I don't mind that we had just two. I, I want to leave it at that. I'm fine with this because one kind of showed Kong getting the upper hand and then this second one showed Godzilla having the upper hand so it really kind of I think that's what they're doing is trying to pit people against each other like they've been doing it's like Kong Godzilla Kong Godzilla Godzilla fans and Kong fans were going at it so just leave it at it we don't need any more uh anyway we've got a lot of new music to get to obviously what do we have uh what do we got some uh Trivax also got Pestis Cultus Bellarand which was really cool um, Geotopia, that's through Hard Life Promotions. Valgrind, Mausoleum, that's come from Horror Pain. Uh, got a lot of shit there. And then we also got Nichols Pick and of the Week in the Rock Block that we got coming up. Ooh. Um, yeah, but uh, we're going to kick off our first block, though, because I got a message on Podbean from our good man, good friend Kevin Tarrant. Oh, Kevin. He's and he put in a request. Fan. Our first request. Oh, this goes out to Kevin. So we appreciate it, man. Uh, and this is what we want people to do. We want feedback. We want people to say, hey, look, yeah, I got something I want to hear in your podcast. Hit us up like he did. Or you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter and anything else. Uh, Neko Freak, I think, is her Twitter handle. Mine's at DJ Neko Freak. Right. Cat, at DJ Neko Cat, Cat Freak. Freak. And mine's uh, at The Real Noobs. Or no, actually, it might be DJ Noobs 88. Like, I thought I had The Real Noobs. I, but hold on, let me look at yours because. I'm pretty sure it's Noobs 88 because, like, I think I had two accounts. All right, let me find. See, I am. Long story short, I got hacked uh, about a year or so ago. And, um,. Had to go create another account until I got it sorted. And I Your DJ did. Anubis 88. So that's my, my Twitter handle. So should be the real news, but since it's not, that's what it is. But on, um, on Instagram, it is the real noobs. Right, right. All right. Well, we're going to kick it off for you, Kevin, here. You request.
Hey everyone, this is Dizzy Infernal from the Friends of the Satanic Temple, Western New York, to let you know about our virtual Hellathon and fundraising event, Baphomet's Ball, featuring nine different bands of different genres. The event starts February 15th at 6 p.m. and will run on repeat for 666 hours. It's filled with bad jokes, good bands, and really cool artwork for your donations. The event itself is free on the satanictemple.tv, so tune in whenever, laugh, cringe, and donate it if you feel like it. We hope to see you there. But in the meantime, keep listening to Metal Tavern Radio and Hail Satan. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target has superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. A dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Thanks, Jax. Kong Lai. The fate of Earth is in our hands. No matter how many of my people you put in the ground, we will not fail. Kill them. You fucking beauty. Alright, we're back. You just heard the Red Band trailer for Mortal Kombat 2021. So, what'd you think even just listening to it? Like, I still got, like, excited just hearing it. I did too. We watched the trailer and I... Again, like I said earlier this episode, I am really trying not to watch a whole shit ton of trailers because I feel like the more trailers that, are, that get released, it's like, oh, no, trailers, and then you lose the whole movie. Well, this... This was just kind of like an intro to show who they are focusing on in the movie, and um, when we were watching it, and I know you're a big Sub-Zero guy, and they really really had a great little snippet of sub-zero fighting scorpion 
And I feel like if you get that right, at least, and the graphics were great, and they were utilizing their actual moves from the game. Yeah, there's a lot to dissect here. Um, one of the things is, like you mentioned, the, the fight between Sub-Zero and Scorpion, who are like bitter enemies, even through all of Mortal Kombat lore and whatnot. Hey, in Mortal Kombat 11, we saw them team up a little bit on this last one. Well, in the story, but I don't know how that works here. Like, I really feel like Sub-Zero is definitely one of the main villains in it. Mm -hmm. But, as you said, again, like, when you watch that fight scene, there's a scene there where Sub-Zero puts up, like, a, a ice wall. That's actually one of his moves in the game that we play. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, like... Uh, we're all kind of curious about this Cole Young guy, the the one that's like a new character introduced. I'm not really sure if I'm crazy about it. I don't know why it's there. I'm not sure why Johnny Cage is not there. Maybe Johnny Cage is and they just haven't... It's possible. Maybe Cole Young becomes Johnny Cage. I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things that we don't really know. Uh, there's also a difference with... We see at the beginning when Sub-Zero takes Jack's arms. Uh, that actually was initially through the game done by uh, Ermac. Um, so, but they changed it for this storyline here where Sub-Zero's the one that takes his arm, so that kind of plays into the whole plot. So, I guess Sub-Zero is going to be, like, the, I don't want to say villain, but it's, like, that's kind of what it, it seems like. Yeah. The way that they're building it up. Right, and then, like, the only thing we really don't know, we do see Shang Tsung later, and we don't know if he's, like, the mastermind behind what's going on. We obviously see statues of Shao Kahn, and we see, like, a looks like a quick clip of two separate instances of reptile appears uh one which is i think which kano fights um sonya's in there jackson and kung lao that's neko's favorite character mm -hmm. uh raiden who is like another second favorite Lord of mine raiden uh, he's my second favorite too so so be interested to see how he plays into it all uh who else we got here um there's, there's actually a scene where, and this is what was caught by Josh when I was watching his YouTube channel. Uh, there's a scene where there's a field and standing there because he was doing like scene by scene. And one on this pedestal, there was actually Katana's fans. Yeah, and they showed, um, I see, I saw the back of the head and I thought that was Katana. I like, think that's Melina though because it looks like the size and then you see Melina later on. You do see at, Melina with, and they did a good job with her crazy face. Right, like, and we don't know exactly the extent of this, and this is what I was kind of telling Josh at the time in the chat was, because if people were saying, well, that doesn't really look like Melina, I'm like, well, in order not to make it look too corny, like, you don't have to be as literal with the way she looks. Like, her and Baraka share this, like, crazy, scary monster face. So, it's one of two things, I think, and this is just theory. Uh, one is... She has what looks like marks on the side of her face, almost like Joker Ash from Ledger's Joker. Mm -hmm. So either she and the crazy teeth. Well, when she's looking aside, you only see regular teeth. But I'm wondering if it's sort of like the whole like, did you ever see Blade Two mm -hmm. with the vampires that open up their faces? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So either she has something similar to that, or they just they're implying that she's a blood freak without going too crazy, like she's doesn't have crazy teeth but she just has scars or something which i would be more in favor of because i don't need you to get too literal mm -hmm. uh with it all and i don't even i don't think barack even shows up in this but you never know um well there's so many characters and this is a you know 
less than two hours. It'll probably be two hours. Right, plus. and that's one thing. There's was, just so many characters. You can only get so many in, and that's part of the problem when they did Annihilation is they were trying to force so many characters into that film, and it's like, you can't do it. It's a bad story. And that's probably why they changed Sub-Zero instead of Ermac taking Jack's on with Sub-Zero doing it, since he's already one of the characters and the main characters in the movie. But the other thing I like about this, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, is we both have a love for the 1995, the first one. Because mm -hmm. there, there is some fun about it. it. It was designed mainly for PG-13 kids, uh, just fans in general. We all know back then when it was made that they copped out the, the gore because of they wanted to keep it kid-friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still a really fun movie. It's it's very fun. It's, it's, it's a popcorn movie. You meant to have fun with it. Um, but as we see as time goes on, technology gets so much better, and we've seen this with the Godzilla films that we've been watching, that what they've done with this trailer and what looks like to be this movie is they just... Everything looks flawless. It's CGI, obviously, but it looks flawless. Yeah, like we were saying about Sub-Zero's no wall. You're right. It was. It looked like it came out of his hand. Even even like the the shot with him taking the blood from Scorpion and making it into ice, mm -hmm. like that was just awesome. Like and he did the ice blade. Right. Um, and and that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like for 1995, they were a product of their time. They could only do so much with what they had. So really, they were relying more on uh, prosthetics because you remember Goro and that looked kind of corny. But that's again product of the time. Yeah. Uh, now, when you see Goro in this trailer for a split second, I think that's more of like a a flashback. I'm, that's kind of my theory, but people think that he might be an actual character, and it might be. Uh, but in this trailer, Goro. Again, CGI looks flawless. It's, he's, his, his movability, much like Godzilla and Ghidorah and all of them, is very fluid. So it, there isn't this like awkwardness about it all. It doesn't look like a, a puppet. Right. And that's what you want. So as much as we appreciate the 95, this one's going to probably be far superior just because they're able to do more things with it. I loved uh, Kano. Like, <laughs> he just... the. I mean, you're this is an audio medium. You can't see what we saw but like if you look at the trailer when you see it looks like Kano like it looks like what Kano well, looks like and acts like yeah just you know and you heard him say you know uh Kano wins uh you know this is fucking beautiful or something mm -hmm. he's holding the heart uh but I, I had some uh, entertainment weekly uh, has an article a little bit on uh this moral comment where you come in and it mentioned something about Stuff that I don't know too much about the lore. I know Josh does. Uh, he's a big, big martial arts guy and follows it. Even though he plays the game online, he's a big martial arts guy. So he knows a lot more of the lore here. But apparently the, uh, what do they call it? The um, uh, Blood Universe? No, no, no. The uh, weapon that he uses. Who? The Kanai. What are you talking Scorpion, about? Scorpion, his thing that he shoots out. Oh, oh, yeah. It's called a Kanai. And what, what they're saying is... The way it's kind of designed in the movie is it was actually a gardening tool that his wife used. Now, they do, we can tell early well, on. Well, they show some flashbacks. Right, and that's where his family is, you know, annihilated or, or wiped out, and then he kills the killers. And I guess he uses the Kanai as his weapon of choice, mm -hmm. which is fantastic, by the way. We even see the final move in that fight where he slams down the guy's head after he hits him with the fucking Kanai, and it's fucking brilliant. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's cool that they've really used a lot of the the moves that we've kind of seen in the game so far. Um, That's what I want. Like, I want to see the moves. Right. Uh, and, and the cool thing is, is they, they are going with fatalities and stuff, but they're not getting corny with it. Like, I think, from what I can tell, everything seems, like, logical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you grab Sub-Zero and he's grabbing your arms, he can freeze your arms and break them right the fuck off. That's logical. Mm-hmm. Now, uh... You know, there's other things that we've seen, like, you know, if Reptile turns into his Reptile and bites the head off, that might be a little corny. Now, the one thing I probably, the, the graphics were fine. I just, I don't, I'm not, I've never been crazy about the animalities, and we did see Liu Kang's dragon. So, I'm just like, eh. I don't even know if they're really going to do a whole lot of those, um, I because think, they, in the new game, they're not really even focusing right. on it. But, like... Even in the movie, if it's just used to, like, incinerate his opponent, okay, cool. You know, let's, let's make it somewhat logical there, you know, if mm-hmm. you're just going to use it. But um, I'm, it, it certainly is a nod to the, the game itself that they're doing it, so that's fine. But I just don't want them to get too crazy with it. You just don't want it to be, like, uh, I don't want to say unbelievable because it's a movie, but you don't, want it, you don't want it to be out of place. You want it to be used in a way that makes sense, like... If you haven't played this new Mortal Kombat game, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate is what we have right now. The stories that they have are like little mini movies. Like, you do fight people and stuff, but if you're playing story mode, you could have taken any of those stories and turned it into a movie. It's that good. Yeah, they they thought it out. Like, it wasn't just something that said, oh, okay, we're going to have you just do this. You can literally... Go through a story. You can only play certain characters at certain times. You can make a choice of which one you play, but the stories themselves are logical and they make a lot of sense and are a lot of fun. Even when they decide, they figure, like, when one character meets its future character or past character, it's like, oh, wow, how are they going to make that work? Well, they make it work because some characters just are not even alive at that point. So, like, for spoiler alert, Johnny Cage, uh, Sonya is gone in the future. But, uh, or is it, yeah, so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so Cassie Cage, her mother, dies in the first portion of this, uh, game. But then she comes back, it's like, Right, have... so then she has to meet her past mother, who doesn't care for young Johnny Cage, because he's an asshole at that point, so, clearly, at some point, Johnny Cage and, uh, and Sonya get together and have Cassie, but it's a process, and a growing pains, and, like, young Cage is having to learn that, like, Man, he's really, I'm really a dick, ain't I? <laughs> so, it, it's clever how they do it, and it works out fine. The story's really good. That's why I'm saying, like, you were talking about this new character that they're developing. Oh, yeah. They didn't even really yeah. need to, because they have, they already have a good story. Now, I'm not gonna, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I have no idea what's going on, but I really feel like they could have just used Mortal Kombat 11's storyline. Uh, yeah, and and we'll I guess we'll find out once we've seen it how it plays out. I mean, it may still be a very good story to use. I don't know, but um, in the essence of like in the essence of trying not to add too many characters, yeah, I can see why they would kind of avoid the story here right now. But uh, it looks good. I mean, I, I can't lie. I'm excited for this, uh, and I'm excited for Godzilla and Kong. No doubt about it. Oh, I love that they're taking these movies and. There's there are things that we've had in our lives for years, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla, and it's coming to life 
to us the way that you would really imagine it. Um, no disrespect to Godzilla in the rubber suit because I mm. love Godzilla in the rubber suit, but when you see, like, when I think of Godzilla, I'm thinking a giant monster. And it's hard to, even with all the old, old-fashioned, like, movie uh, filming tricks, it's hard to really capture, like, this gigantic lizard coming out of the water. Same thing with Mortal Kombat. It's really hard. Remember in the older Mortal Kombats, you didn't get a lot of the, uh, with Sub-Zero freezing things and all. It wasn't, you know, the way that you wanted to imagine it. But now, with the technology that we have, you can really see it's it's just so fantastic. Yeah, you know, this time around, when Mortal Kombat in 95 came out, you had actors who were training, so to speak, to do the moves. And even though I think the guy who played Liu Kang had already had a martial arts background, uh, Christopher Lambert did not. That's why you probably didn't see him doing any of mm-hmm. the martial arts stuff, even though he was really... I liked his persona as Raiden, but it, obviously it's not really casted perfectly like it should. Like It's more casted better for this film because it's more accurate to the type of uh, person that he is. But... Uh, you know, with Godzilla, like, as a kid, I'm always going to love all the suits and stuff like that, but take a character like Mothra or Rodan, and when you see him in the past... Uh, you literally can see the wires hanging down with well, Mothra that, and it's flapping her wings. And, and, and as a kid, you can don't have to worry about that, because you're like, just, oh wow, giant monsters. And I, Yeah, we can still enjoy it as adults, mm-hmm. but, again, the fluidity with the characters in King of the Monsters... It's just amazing. Like, even now, like, when I go back to, say, King Kong, uh, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong in 2005, the mannerisms of Kong in that, uh, with Naomi Watts being the lead in that, uh, you know, him doing the monkey thing, <laughs> getting excited when she's dancing around, that makes sense. He's a fucking giant ape. Mm-hmm. I expect that. Um, back when, what was it, 1930s when the first King Kong I came can't out? remember. Uh, now, granted, that's a good movie, too. Don't get me wrong, but... And that was all stop motion, so there's a lot... Again, product of its time. But there is a vast difference on how it works on screen. So, either way, you can suspend the disbelief, but as an adult... And Neko and I have agreed with this one once Godzilla 2014 came out, that the storyline is more adult-oriented. Like, it make You know, you're using the whole backdrop of the atom bomb and all this other stuff on it, so... Everything kind of makes sense story-wise. It's not just designed for kids. Like, kids can enjoy it, obviously, but it has more of an adult theme, which I like. Mm-hmm. Me too. Anyway. I, I'm, on your, I'm on the same Wave. boat. <laughs> boat. Boat. All right, well, let's get back to some music. We're kicking off the next block with some Trivax. This is Into the Void.
Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs>All right, we're back. We're back in black. I know, I do it every time. Every single time. I can't help myself. So, one passing to talk about now. Granted, neither you or I are like big fans of this person, but because of the importance of... I guess this, the impact of his yeah, it, life. Yeah, uh, Rush Limbaugh passed at age 70. Um, he was, a, uh, as... This is the way they put it. A conservative commentator whose fiery rhetoric forged a new landscape for talk radio and inflamed a partisan divide that came to characterize political discourse in the U.S. I, I think there are certainly people who think that he was a catalyst for this divide that we have, but I don't think it really necessarily falls just on him. Uh, because the Democrats and Republicans have been going at each other for years, like prior, even before Rush was doing what he's doing now. The thing about Rush, though, was he was a pioneer for conservative radio uh, because there wasn't anybody before him that stood out nearly as much and had as much impact on that side of the fence than he did. Um, however, I think back in probably 97 or 98 when I first like tried to sit down and listen to his stuff a little bit because I was working at Ryder and you know, cleaning out trucks and fueling trucks, so I was kind of just... Flipping through the radio right. stations. Right, and he would, of course, be on AM radio, I believe, at the time, and, you know, he didn't do much for me, like, I, I kind of knew right away, like, he just wasn't my brand of radio, and I, it's not like I spent a lot of time in politics, um, I think the only other guy that I used to listen to... <laughs> As far as that was concerned, was when I was in there on Sundays, you remember, um, was it Mark Lopez for 98 Rock? He used to have a show he did on Sundays, which was all political and stuff like that. So that's the one guy that I'd probably listen to before he passed away was him. But the impact of Rush is a lot like Howard Stern. And ironically, both were very polarizing to their particular brand of radio. Um, and I know Neko has some stuff that he is well known for, which I don't have on my screen currently because I just know that I wasn't really looking to to glorify or, or really hammer the guy much. But, you know, when Neko started telling me some of the things that he's been known to say. The one thing about Rush, and he was always looked at as this, like, conservative god. He's the conservative voice. And what I find interesting is in his later years, people are noting that he is really abandoning the project of advancing the positive agenda of a conservative agenda he you know at one point hated Donald Trump and then he loved Donald Trump and then he hated Donald Trump like he he's a big flip-flopper he uh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't like for him character really didn't matter he was he all he wanted to do was antagonize the liberal left and some people there are a lot of people out there where they're just so against the liberal left that that's kind of how he got pushed into this like you know conservative godlike status that's fine because i i don't always agree with the liberal left on a lot of things um mostly with financial things because i think they overspend way too much but 
he was all about attacking people. And one of the things that, um, you know, they, they say, like, he's the conservative voice. A lot of the conservatives, for them, it was about your character, about your judgment, about God, about whatever. And he was not really pushing that agenda. He was pushing, let's attack everybody who is against me or against the left. And that's fine. That, get, that gets great ratings, and that's probably how he stayed on the, on the radio and his podcast and all for all these years, because there are a lot of people out there who are just like, I just want to attack the liberal left. And he would get kind of, like, uh, vicious about it, mm-hmm. so to speak. So there are some things that they would that I came across because I remember thinking like I don't I never listened to Rush Limbaugh and I just know he was like really kind of sexist and racist and yeah kind of a (laughs) jerk and because he put himself as like the conservative person's uh you know voice it, it really reflects poorly on a lot of conservatives who really don't are not antagonizing they are just conservative in their beliefs, but think, then I everybody think, starts thinking, "Oh, because Rush Limbaugh is a conservative, you you're an asshole like Rush Limbaugh." Yeah, I think he played up to the what we talk about in today's age. He played up to the extreme right, mm-hmm. uh, everything they wanted out of it. Um, but it, not only that is, it, he just started becoming hateful, and mm-hmm. it's not so much in his earlier years. Like in his earlier years in the '80s and all, he really was trying to feel like this is how conservatives how conservatives should should live and this is what conservatives believe and this is what our you know philosophy is with conservative beliefs and conservative uh fiscal responsibilities early on but when he realized that again he is great for radio he he gets people to hate him he gets people to listen you get the ratings it just turned into an attack on the left and kind of mean like yeah, he didn't hold back. No. He, um... So, even before Barack Obama became president, he... I guess he kind of had a feeling that Barack was going to go on a run. And this is back in, like, 2007. He made a racist song called Barack the Magic Negro. And it's like... We're laughing because it's just so fucking unbelievable that well, someone would come out and just be but, like... But keep in mind, this is similar to what we were talking about with Stern. Stern made, like... Just but he a, did it for his... his he wanted the, the to incite the the fan the flames or whatever, well, get the ratings. And, that's, and, and I'm just going to sidetrack him, man. Recently, Stern came out and saying that he supports Britney Spears. There's like this whole thing with Britney Spears right now. And Stern's like... Yeah, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I said some bad things back in the day about it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. But you spent the last 30 plus years degrading and, you know, being very sexist towards women. You you, you got rich off of their backs. Mm-hmm. And now you just think that you can come in as Johnny Come Lately and say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about all that. And I'll flip this to you. At least... Howard Stern is saying I uh, I've changed as an adult. I hope people do change as an adult because life is changing. Okay, but here's fucking the... Rush is not even like. But you know what? I respect that more. What? Just him sticking to being an asshole? Yeah, because Rush knew who he was. Maybe Howard is like not into this anymore. Maybe he's like I'm an old man and I can't believe I did this shit when but I was old. But that's my point. Younger. Is that okay? But how how do you repair 
all the damage you've done. And keep in mind, people, like, I grew up on Stern. I thought he was Yeah, I like, the, we, we, we are, we like Howard Stern. Now, granted, by the time... I, I, I know he is a sexist, and I was perfectly fine listening to him be a sexist. Once he went to Sirius, it, it just became stale for me, so I didn't really listen beyond that. But the point was, you know, here it is. This guy is now saying that he's a much better man at age 60 or whatever fuck he is now. And uh, he was wrong for all the things he did, but he he got rich. It, 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 to me, if you want to send a fucking re- apology example, get the fucking money back, give it all back. And we know he's not going to do that. And we know he's not going to step down from any of his fucking jobs of America's Got Talent and all this other stuff. Well, he's not on America's Got Talent anymore. Well, whatever the case is, you know. But whatever endeavors he's had, he if there's one person needs to be boycotted, it's his ass. But it just gets me that, like, at least Rush knew who he was. He was a gigantic asshole. Fine. You know? See you later. Enjoy your afterlife. But see, what what my point was, early on, he really was just trying to propagate the conservative, you know, lifestyle, conservative beliefs. But then when, kind of like with Stern, when you realize the kind of radio that you can make and the kind of, um, I guess... You can incite a little bit of anger in people or get a lot of reactions. Well, that's when he started to like be. I mean, starting out from day one. I mean, but he he really started saying like, um, okay, I'll give you a, a nice homophobic statement. When a gay person turns his back on you, it's anything but an insult. It's an invitation. That's from Rush Limbaugh. He said that the National Basketball Association should be called the TBA, the Thug Basketball Association, and stop calling them teams. Call them gangs. Um, He made a comment about... um, And this one is kind of interesting because it was recent, and it's not even... It's not... it's, It's very true. But, and this one, he said, I guarantee there will be some in the Republican establishment who will think, yeah, we need to, we need to do this. We need to provide a home. We need to provide a comforting atmosphere for the tranny community and gay community. But those people are voting Democrat anyway. And he was speaking on, um, LBGTQ politicians being elected to office. And he's just like, listen, Republicans don't care because they're not going to vote Republican. So why do we care about them? And it was just very interesting, like, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Rush Limbaugh at all, just in general, but when I started, like, really reading some articles, and I knew he was, he was just super racist and super homophobic and super sexist, and again, I don't care. It's it's his life. He did it. It didn't affect me in any way. I'm not going home crying because Rush Limbaugh said these things. But I think the hardest thing for me is seeing how he took... He was starting off as, like, a conservative person who wants to push forward conservative values. God, country, whatever. But now he's turned in himself into, like, a hateful person and again we were we are acknowledging his life and death because he was an impactful human being he also you know yeah just forget if you forget everything that he was about the fact that he was 
And for the years. Basically the only conservative voice that was really out there that anyone ever given or paid attention to. That It's a big deal. And it's the hardest part for people who, like, we are not conservatives. I'm just saying for people who are conservatives. Yeah. When you have that type of person who is now turned into, like, a caricature of himself before what he used to believe, he now just kind of fans the flames of, I just want to piss off the left-wing liberals. So... A lot of the things that he says is literally just to start fights and just to piss off the left-wing people. And I honestly, I don't know the man, but I don't, it's hard to like, you can't get like one little slip up when you say the N-word by accident with him where it's like everything he says is like super racist. Like, Well, the funny thing is I'd be curious if like, the things that he said that you pointed out was like ever like how long ago was it was it ever was he ever suspended because of it? he was like, never sus- well i don't want to say never because he's been on multiple different media platforms and i didn't do enough research on that but he um and i this is gonna sound crazy but i think because he's rush limbaugh and he says those things he doesn't get in trouble whereas like another radio personality who, well, part of me wonders, too, because he might have been also helpful with the platform he was on. Like, what is it? Um, I know Stern used to battle against this particular um, company that he was working for because they were always, you know, bickering about what he was saying and doing. And I, I wonder with, with Rush, because it might have been more of a conservative platform that he was on, they might have been like, well, we're just going to overlook it. You know, we're like, yeah, don't do it again. You know? I, I think for him, that's what he got his notoriety from. So almost the more um, insane he was, and he still had sponsors and he still had a show. Usually a lot of times when people get fired or, or suspended, they're just worried about sponsors or, or whatever because they're like, oh, I don't want to be associated with, you know, DJ X who said something that could be even slightly remotely associated with being racist. With Rush Limbaugh, his sponsors knew what they were getting into. It's probably a little bit different, too, because despite the shit that stern took over the years you know it was radio whereas if you're like a movie star an athlete like it's easier to get you canceled out of something <laughs> you know what i mean well the one thing with stern and we've seen it in in his past where everybody hated him but they listened to him so then the radio station is like oh my god we've got like this huge listening audience even though we hate stern and everybody hates stern the the sponsors are like, oh, well, this dude's got, like, this huge share of an audience. We're still willing to put our ads on during Howard Stern because we know there's, like, yeah. all these people listening. Because more people are hearing it, so. So some other things that I, I found on the um, last few um, news newsone.com. Rush Limbaugh said that Steinbrenner was a cracker who made African-Americans millionaires. Limbaugh said that Obama and <coughs> Oprah are only successful because they're black. He also called Governor Patterson a massa. He called Obama uppity. Limbaugh says that Kennedy had Negroes serve him booze. Limbaugh said the black frame of mind is terrible. Tiger's women are not helping. And he, there's a video, but he had, like, a whole big Mexican rant that he oh, went God. on. Yeah. So, there's another thing, too. Where is it? I have to find it. 
here we go. Look, let me put it to you this way. The NFL all too often looks at like a game between the Bloods and the Crips without any weapons. There, I said it. And then he said the NAACP should have riot rehearsal. They should get a liquor store and practice robberies. Oh my god! So this is this is what I mean. And then, like I guess, in relation to minorities, the twelve they're twelve percent of the population who cares. I um. He has had so many attacks on Obama just besides being uppity. Just he call calling him Barack the Magic Negro, whatever. So. When he said that, when Obama became president, he was, like, fanning the flames to these super conservative white people, basically saying that Obama now is is promoting segregation and promoting, you know, the African Americans as the better race, and that's what Russia's, like, big, again, scaring the super conservative white people and also fanning and pissing off the liberals. He's like, okay, so Obama now is in charge, and Obama is the one who is, you know, inciting segregation. And he, he even said, Rush Limbaugh said, we have to go back to segregated buses. This is Obama's America. His, his comment on his economic program is, Obama's entire economic program is reparations. So technically, we missed nothing. By not listening to it. Yeah, we missed nothing. <laughs> the one thing that, um, hold on, where's the one? This is the one that kind of gets me, and it's not a 100%. It's a quote that wasn't said on the air, but it was in somebody's book or something, so it's not 100% confirmed. He said, You know who deserves a posthumous Medal of Honor? James Earl Ray. We miss you, James. Godspeed. And James Earl Ray is the confessed assassin of Martin Luther King. This is the type of man that... Horrible. horrible, horrible. Like, and for me, I'm sitting here in my head, like, how did he go from just, like, I'm a conservative, I believe in fiscal responsibility and family and home and I love God, to let's be a complete asshole, yeah, you see, I didn't even know half of that. So, like, when I see people say, well, it's really just Russia's stick, you know, this is what he does. And I'm like, but that, how do you that, go, goes, that goes way beyond. How like, do you go from that, though? Like, this man is, is passed away at 70. So, I'm talking, like, the late 70s, early I, 80s. To be honest, I got a great answer for that. Hmm. The media. It's just getting his attention. Internet, yeah. internet and everything else. He... Half the shit that he probably ever learned in the late 90s or even when he first started. And he's just taking advantage and trying to, like, get... So once the internet's out there and you've got all these reports of people freaking out, doing this and this and this, or... They're, like, scared of Obama, so he's just taking advantage of it? Yeah, he just... He's taking the information, whether it's true or false, and he he runs with it. Like, it just... He starts scare tactics, and he thinks it's fair game and fair war to do it. But the shit that he said is just... So fucking ignorant and asinine. I just, I can't even, I don't know how anybody would listen to that shit. And the thing that, like, blows my mind, again, back in the late 70s, early 80s, he was, I want to be the voice of conservatives, but he did nothing to push the conservative, like, policies forward. He just turned into a, a circus. And I also think, again, I am not conservative. I'm just saying, like, these people who are conservative and he and Rush Limbaugh is supposed to be the voice of conservatives 
it also makes other non-insane conservatives look because, like, he's like, I'm the voice of conservatives, and then you have other conservatives who are like, I really don't want him to be my voice, but now he's saying he's the voice, and then the liberals are like, oh, all you conservatives are like, Rush Limbaugh, fuck you people. So, I feel like he's done... Well, that's because the conservatives base didn't have anybody else, no alternative. Yeah, there's nothing else but Rush Limbaugh, so it's like, you got this insane dude who is just like, you know, Obama is turning everything into reparations and we need segregated buses again because now all the black people think that they're uppity. The uppity thing just got me. I was like, who the fuck says uppity? It's 2013. Anyhow. I'm going to end on this. Rush Limbaugh... Whether you like him or not, he was an impactful person throughout life. I, as an, I'm, I'm a libertarian, so as a non-conservative, when I look at him and I, all I can see is he just needed a lot of attention, he was kind of an asshole, and he went so far away from what he wanted to do by making the conservative party... Uh, more elevated. He just turned it into a fucking circus. Yeah. So, either way, he was a pioneer, at least to the conservatives, and, you know, it's like, he's gone, which is good. I don't know who's going to try to replace him as, you know, the mouthpiece, but hopefully they're not half as ignorant as this dude Hopefully they get someone who's like, listen, conservatives (laughs) are not racists. We just are really into, like, fiscal responsibility or something like that. It's not even that. It's just you got to be able to say, look, these guys like Trump and and Rust are all on the fringe. We don't want to be messing with the fringe. we got to, you know, we got to have our ideals in place, which we have. If you're Christian, you have faith, like, you know, stuff like that. But you can't be going out the deep end. Rush was so polarizing. Yeah. And he really did, like, he just pissed off the left and then the right was embarrassed of him that's kind of how i i feel and it's probably because i don't identify with either party that i can say that but i'm sure someone on the left will be like rush limbaugh can rot in hell and somebody on the oh, right yeah, well they well they've been having a ball with it some of those people but that's fine that's you know that's them venting and saying to themselves this guy was a real piece of shit so that's fine that's that's their opinion. Like I, I, I don't have an opinion one way or the other. I just I know that from what you just told me that he's not a very good dude. At least I can't see him in, in a good mind that you would go on a show and say the fucking shit that you just said. Like that's is he's there, not even doing it under the guise of a character. He's right, pu- putting his name on this show. There's a difference between pushing buttons and then just like outright hatred. Like it, it just it does not. It just, it's, we will always acknowledge, Anubis and I, that Rush Limbaugh was a force to be reckoned with. He did achieve a lot in his career. Doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with him, but he was successful in what he did. And that needs to be recognized. And that happens a lot in the world, like, just in life. I mean, like... And that's all this is. Yeah, we're just recognizing he was... Marking a moment in time. That's all this is. So, we're not we're not trying we're not, to say yay yep. Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to put out some things about like over the years what I've read and 
the I think the most recent thing that I read that kind of brought this whole thing up was, you know, Rush Limbaugh wasn't always this insane. He was really, he started off as a conservative voice who wanted to really speak for conservative people. And then I think he just went on, you know, went off the deep end to just get ratings. And again, kudos to you. You're a good businessman. But just remember... Uh, it doesn't matter where you start, it's how you finish. Exactly. Anywho, uh, back to our music. Uh, I do have some a track in here from Kobar PR. Uh, but we're going to kick it off brand new stuff from Bellaran. This is Black Knight of Autumn.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, getting ready to go into our rock block now. I love the rock block. I feel rock blocky. Rock block. I know, I'm dumb. I was actually thinking, um, I was listening to the Chad Dukes show this week, and he was speaking with some of his friends about how, you know, the mainstream music today is not rock and roll. It's not anything played with instruments. It's all like electronic and and vocal like voice tune and it's it's kind of like crazy and we because we're older we love it we love rock because we appreciate it and we grew up with it but a lot of these younger people they don't even kind of look at let's just say like Van Halen or Led Zeppelin or some of these big names the way that we do we're like oh god yeah love 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 and then a lot of these younger people are like this is just so antiquated let let me put on some young wheezy or whatever i i don't (laughs) yeah i don't know what any i sound like an old person but the thing i love because i know you get a lot of newer rock songs especially from these you know promotional sites and these um these labels I love that there are people out there still trying to rock, just period. They're like, you know, rock may not be mainstream like what it used to be, but it's what I love and I want to play a rock song. And I wish there was a way, I have no power to do this, you don't either. All we can do is just kind of put it out there to the to the internet and the universe and give them all these rock songs, but there are rock songs being made still nowadays it's not just like oh we have to listen to the same Def Leppard stuff from 1987 rock is still out there that's why we do the rock block even though a lot of the songs that I pick are kind of old they kind of run the gamut and um, what we're finding now with newer artists is they're not trying to box themselves into a label of rock or hip-hop or uh, electronic or whatever because they want to mess with a little bit of everything. And I, you know, I think that's that's also a great idea, but I I want people who anyone listening to my voice who is Kevin um <laughs> just realize there are still rock artists out there. I know rock kind of died in the early 2000s. I mean, well, there there's rock out there, but I mean, it's not like what it used no. to be. And th- we're going to have this discussion another day because I saw something about Pantera and how someone said they were the ones that kept the metal scene alive in the 90s. And I, I agree and disagree with that. But, uh, again, this show, its main purpose is to showcase the underground metal scene. I mean, obviously we play more mainstream acts here and there, but it's always about new stuff and... As Things said, that people don't see all the time or, right. or hear all the time. Especially with rock. Like, you know, there are rock bands out there that are paying homage to, 
you know the you know classic rock of the 70s or another some other form but they're doing it in a more modern way and like people don't know anything about them like that's what we're here for and so. i really want people to i mean some of the stuff that we've been hearing lately that you've been getting from the labels have been amazing and they're new and they're you know after covid we kind of joked about this the other day i said i said to anubis i'm like listen as soon as the restrictions are lifted i don't care we're going every weekend to see a concert i don't care if it's the string quartet at the you know baltimore symphony orchestra we are going i am jonesing for live music and i will continue to support local music as much as possible even the, the local quartet at the baltimore symphony orchestra well we got a lot of new stuff today um got some new stuff from transatlantic Snowblind, MSG, Michael Schenker Group, uh, Fleet Burner, uh, provided by Grind Sounds Promotions. And a band that contacted me uh, to play some stuff is Illusions of Grandeur. This is called Down. Ooh.
You love love, I do not do 
life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champion flat card season. You could be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
Yeah, you actually have to do something now. Hey, I was cuddling with the cat. <laughs> Alright, we're back. Um, it's that time for Neko's pick of the week. It is. We've actually been talking about this pick for like a long time. It's been like a year now until we finally got to it. But part of it is just there's so many tracks out there that we always like to revisit. And this is finally the one we got to. I think too because this is kind of like not really what you would think that you and I would pick. And then there are times where I'm like, oh... I want this to be my pick. Like, I'll hear a song that I forgot that I heard, like, last week with Moon Shadow. I was like, oh, shit, I want Moon Shadow to be my pick because I forgot this song even existed. And, you know, you kind of, like, bumped it up because I... Yeah, actually, initially I'd slated uh, a Toho, uh, Toto track initially for this, but... Oh, you know, every Toto track should be slated for my pick of the week. Right, so I, I, I said to I said, you know what, we need to do this track because... It means a lot to us for certain reasons, and then well, the band itself—it is—it's one of those alternative, popular, mainstream bands, but very, very emo in the early two thousands. But they're a—they're a fun band, and like this is one of those songs that both—it's a catchy chorus, plus like lyrically, it means a lot. Like not so much for me or you, but just in general when you get the overall overall vibe of the song and the lyrics it means a lot like it's kind of a a sad song in a way but uh has like a lot of what do you want to say uh heavy riffage sort of i mm -hmm. guess so and i think to to you know comment on what you were saying with the with the lyrics the early emo stages which is really funny because like Again, we are officially old when we see things coming back, and uh, one funny thing is the, uh, you know, like the bell bottoms are back, and like my mom wore bell bottoms in the 70s, and then they came back when I was, you know, in the 90s, and now they're back again, and the kids are like, oh, these are flared, what do, what do they call them? Flared legging? I, I don't know. <laughs> but it, this, when when you when you think of original emo cuz emo was not something that i was in high school with do they really consider this band emo though? kind of emo really mm -hmm. not like to the extent but this is kind of emo hmm. and um i never saw them that way but that's interesting i haven't either i always thought them as like kind of funny punk yeah you that's know exactly how i saw them but this song is kind of what put them in that little, like, you know, borderline emo. And you got to think, like, back to MySpace when people had, like, really shitty digital cameras and they're uploading all their, like, you know, crazy bangs and, like, oh, I got a hoodie on and... Leave Britney alone. Leave Britney alone. No, I need to see that documentary, too. Oh, my God. It's supposed to be on Netflix, right? didn't see it, but I mean, it should be on there. It's called Finding Britney. Anyway. We, we, just, we just want to watch the train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, when when all of that was happening with her, when she was really breaking down, I was working at a company and we had a TV in our break room and we, would, we had it on the noon edition of Entertainment Tonight every day and like we would go in there and watch it 
like me and a couple of coworkers because that was like twelve to th- uh, twelve thirty, and then at twelve thirty, all the soap operas would come on, and then the old biddies would take their lunch break so they could watch their favorite soap. But we um, we were like enthralled with the like we couldn't believe what was happening with Britney, and this is kind of the this band is the kind of the Britney Spears era. You mm-hmm. you like. You kind of group them all together, and I'm college-aged, I guess, at this time. So it's, for me, the first time I heard this song, I was probably in my Blue Omni. I don't know. You know, we always talk about, that was the original Blue Bomber, by the way. The baby Blue Bomber. It was a baby blue Dodge Omni. Love that car. It got, I don't know. You couldn't go over 50, so driving on the highway was a little scary sometimes, but it was the best car. And when you hear songs like this, it does kind of, like, rewind you in your mind. Like, how has it been 20 years? I mean, it's been 20 years since this song came out, easily. I remember they... Because I remember looking back at the... the girl on the cover was actually a porn star from the 90s so I remember that a lot so this <laughs> side note side note so for me when I when I think about this 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 song is not like super special to me except for you know Nubis and I both love the song and then we get drunk and, and drive home from concerts and sing, and sing it at the top of our lungs mainly because we remember when it came out and now that I I have a hard time for and I think Anubis does too like I've always had a hard time being like saying I'm an adult I never thought of myself as like this responsible adult blah 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 adults do this and adults do that so when I come to music and I think of something I'm like I'm still that 19 year old in college driving thing I like about this song is again when we get to the lyrics and the main chorus is that it's sad but then like it's also very powerful with this sense of anger about it like the way that he sings it uh, when he gets into the main chorus about it it's like you know it's like frustration and again I'm not really seeing it from an emo point of view because the topic that they're singing about is actually pretty tough on kids. So. Well, that's why I'm saying it's kind of emo. It came out in 2001, so this is the emo time. And they call it punk. So I, I do see them as, as kind of like a fun punk band. Well, they, they're right up there with like Green Day. Exactly. Like so. so the song I picked many, many, many weeks ago when we first started this podcast. Well, it was probably like one of the first two picks. We, I just started like rattling off songs that I that I loved, but this is Blink-182, Stay Together for the Kids, and I hope you enjoy it this time. <laughs> this time. <laughs> you gave it all away. Hope you enjoy it this time. No? Nah, we'll let them do it. You'll let them do it? Okay. <laughs> Here we go, Neko's pick of the week. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation 
that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
reincarnate Are they just a dream? Cause the world is filled with anguish Like a poison stream Be the difference Is the mask they wear Underneath I see the venom Of a deadly stare I climb the mast I feel the rigging Of this mystery Can it really bear me safely o'er the wine dark sea? Past the eyes of dread that fill my head, past the creatures of the deep. Will I find a land of peace or will I find more woe and pain? The sacred creed of a people's full devotion to their wicked deeds. Hear them crushing underneath their feet. All these helpless little ones won't even let them scream.
for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Don't appreciate your ruse. Oh my god. That was really funny. I, I, when, when DJ Anubis made this, I was just like, who did this? He's like, me? I was like, ow, you're so good. I mean, at least put together, like I said, there was a... little extra help on the outside. Right, so, like, but that's sort of like our little movie intro for our new weekly spot that we do now with the movies that we uh, go back and revisit our DVD collection. So I thought that was kind of fun. I, I thought it was it was hysterical. I, um, I appreciate it. It kind of gets back to, like... During the last two songs, after I started like waxing poetic about Blink One Eighty Two, and then we're listening to Fleet Burner, and I'm like, yeah, that's a good song too. Like, I really enjoyed our rock block. I feel like every single song on the rock block that we had, um, uh, Rainbow Sky, that was the one that I was Trans like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's fucking. It's actually good. one of Crash's favorite bands. I was like, that that was pretty fucking good. I was feeling, and I still am, like, rock I, rock. <laughs> I've just been feeling like nostalgic and I, I love your idea with the retro DVD vault because 
eventually I think we'll just bring the VHS player into the living room so we can start pooling our VHSs downstairs into the living room too. And well, especially if we end up getting rid of the cable box. I mean, that frees that up. cable box. Because it's taking up a USB or HDMI slot. Mm-hmm. So we'll figure it out one way or the other. But uh, yeah, we have like a lot of old VHS. Some stuff that I've started buying on dvd like killing zelly which is but we, we also ran into some things too like that that um so this is offsides but still relevant i um my mom was asking me to look for something in the basement and then she made a comment like hey i think there's some stuff downstairs that like you might have bought while we were like thrift shopping. yeah thrift shopping so I went down there. She wanted me to find something, which I couldn't find. And then <laughs> I found two records, and I'm really into to show show tunes and into musicals. One was um, Jesus Christ Superstar, and one was a chorus line on vinyl. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely bought this while we were out thrift shopping. And then I found a VHS of, shit, what was the name of it? Uh, it was like a martial arts. It was a martial arts, and I'm like... I looked at it, and I'm like, I'm sure when I saw this while I was thrift shopping, I, I looked it up, and I'm like, this is something that DJ Anubis doesn't have, because it's not something well-known. Like, I can't even think of the name of the actors or anything. It's and like I, Duel or something. So, when I, when I bought it, it was probably a dollar or something, and it just... It, just hit you in this, the nostalgia. I'm like, oh yeah, nostalgia, and that's what what is kind of fun about these DVD reviews and hopefully VHSs, which will we'll think about that once we bring the VHS player downstairs. It's kind of like living in our. Well, bed. technically, it's not a bad idea just because I have like you still have. Some- ironically, I think I still have. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla and Biolanti on VHS, which I don't have on DVD because it's so fucking expensive. Like for Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, it's like seventy bucks to buy that thing. on DVD. Yeah, it's, well, see, because it's so rare. I um, I was thinking we still have a lot of room in our cool little cabinet that I bought, and if not in the cabinet, we we have shelves on our TV stand too. That's that probably where we're yeah, down. we could put the VHSs there too. And the VHS player is upstairs, but it's not it's not connected right now. We we di- there's just only so many ports to put things in. So I'm like, if we put it downstairs, our TV downstairs has like a lot more inputs than the one upstairs. And we move all of our our VHSs downstairs. It'll be a lot of fun to because they're upstairs, just kind of in a cabinet that we don't even look at anymore. But anyway, anyway uh, last week we had the replacement killers, mm-hmm. and this week was Neko's pick, and she chose Wayne's World. And I picked Wayne's World because the replacement killers, to me, was a nice action flick, and I appreciated appreciated it so much. I was in Hong Kong um, about a year ago, and the one biggest regret that I have about being in Hong Kong is I didn't go to the Avenue of the Stars, where you could see... Chow Young Fat on the Avenue of the Stars and part of it is when I travel I, I don't travel with um, Anubis I travel with my, my co-workers and I do enjoy visiting cities and stuff but it was a really hard sell where I'm like hey 
hey, does anybody want to go to the Avenue of the Stars and check out all the... Check out all They're the like, now we just want to go drink. Yeah, we just want to go drink. Let's go drink and, and, <laughs> and, and eat and, and go to the karaoke bar. And I'm like, we can do that, but like, it's right up the street. No, they, they had no interest. So, I, I love action. I love kung fu. I love martial arts. But I also love comedy. So that's why I went with Wayne's World this week because it's a kind of a 180. Well, that's the good thing about what we're doing is it, it doesn't have to be restricted to anything. Horror, comedy, action, drama. Uh, I'm sure that Nick will probably revisit Departed in there at some point. Departed, Silence of the Lambs, you know, my faves. But uh, yeah, Wayne's World was interesting because that actually is a movie I saw in the theaters when it got released in Same, 92. Same, me too. I... This is how long ago it was, because Mike and I went, and his sister took us. That was like in sixth or seventh grade, and we were dying to see Wayne's World, and she took us, and we were like, oh my god, it is the funniest thing ever. We're like super happy, and his sister was like, we were in, she was probably a senior in high school, and we were like just blessed that a senior would, you know take her time out of her busy schedule being cool to you know take us to the movie theater yeah the one thing that Nick and I were talking about throughout the movie and basically at the end was it, it despite the fact that it was very nostalgic for us it, it didn't lose any of its luster like it was still relevant today as it was back then it, it still felt funny yeah. Like, we've seen older comedies that... We'll discuss Spaceballs. Yeah, has it's a just not thing. funny anymore. <laughs> right. I'm like, was I just really drunk every time I watched Spaceballs, or... No, like, back then, that shit was f flat-out funny. I just remember laughing so hard at Spaceballs so many times. And but I'm now like, when you look at, like, Spaceballs, it looks like it's trying too hard, at, you know, in this day and age, whereas... <laughs> Wayne's World, and there's an article uh, from Roger Ebert who had done a review back then when it was released about how the comedy is balanced. It's not forced. It's It has a nice balance to it. So it basically runs. Like he says, I walked into Wayne's World expecting a lot of dumb vulgar comedy, and I got plenty. But I also found what I didn't expect, a generally amusing, sometimes even intelligent undercurrent. And I think that's important because that is there. Because they're very relatable characters and they're very believable. Like again, you and I were talking about we we could we could have hung out with Wayne and Garth. Like that could have been people we knew. We were Wayne and Garth. We had shitty apartments. We had you know friends who lived you know wherever, and the whole our whole life was built around leaving the house at 11 o'clock at night and starting our night at 11, which I couldn't even imagine doing now because I'm old as fuck and I have my own house and it's like, what's more, what's more better, going out or falling asleep on my couch? And that, the thing with, with Wayne's World, it makes me think back to being younger and going to the hangout spots. And, you know, the one part where they're like, oh, we're going... Right after the very beginning where they're doing their first Wayne's World and everything, and then they decide they're going out. Well, it's already 1130, and... Nick, I used to live by that. Yeah, <laughs> that was like me, and my parents would be like, you got work tomorrow, and I'm like, I'll be home. I'll be there. No big deal, just, you know, 
I'll, I'll, I'll you worry about you. I'll no, worry I'm about just, me. C- leave the deadbolt unlocked so I can get in the house. No big deal. And they're like, okay. And that just hit me because I I loved having that late night crew where it could be something as simple. We would just go to Applebee's because appetizers after 11 o'clock were, uh, you know, half price. But with Wayne's World, they're like, we've got our spots. We've got our, you know, we're going to the gaslight. We've, it hit everything. It w- we're going to concerts. We're, I'm thinking about some of the concerts that I went to before I, I even met you, baby, where it was like, oh my God, only $5 to get in. And that, I'm like, what the fuck is going on now? Where it's like, okay, it's $15 with $23 worth of fees. Well, let's back up just a little bit. Sorry, For sorry. those who have not really seen this movie. Who has never seen Wayne's World? Never know. I'm doing a poll. But uh, basically what it is, is this was something that was a a small skit that was taken on Saturday Night Live when Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were on Saturday Night Live. And they turned into a a big movie. And it centers around Wayne Campbell, played by Mike Myers, and Garth Algar, uh, played by Dana Carvey. And these are two guys who play their little show in their basement of their house and basically it's sort of like what was it um something tv but it was like channel 13 it was like some off the wall like before cable really so well that that's the other thing we were talking about so wayne and garth have a cable access television show and nowadays everybody thinks they're a star because they're on youtube and honestly if you're on cable access you could Back in the day, you could just be like, yeah, give me like... Free TV. Yeah, yeah. give me 11, 11, 30 on channel 24, which nobody cares about because it's the education channel. And that's basically what Wayne and Garth did. But because they were so... They invented like the underground. Mm -hmm. They invented like before viral marketing happened. They were just in the whole Chicago Aurora area. They had made a name for themselves because they go to the shows. They are a funny personality. They are really into just, you know, music and live bands. And they didn't care about turning Wayne's World into this job until they did. But all they they really just enjoyed... Like, okay, we're going to the Gaslight, and it's like, hey, Wayne's World! They were really into just being Wayne and Garth, and that's what what made it kind of a sweet movie, because it wasn't two men just trying to fight each other and go above each other, and it it was just a very sweet friendship. But but the plot also has, like, uh, a guy named... I forget his character, Benjamin, played by Rob Lowe, who obviously is looking to capitalize on their popularity because of the underground. Uh, Just like even his girl he was messing around with was a big fan of the show. That's how he took interest in it. That's how he even found it, because she's like, oh, keep this on. I love those guys. So he figured, well, I'm going to try to get a hold of these guys and see if I can get them syndicated on big television, but... With that came a price of sacrificing your image and your product. And soon Garth and Wayne figure out, 
that they're trying to change everything about their show that they don't want. So when they try to reinstall their brand of humor, which one of their sponsors comes on for Noah's Arcade, uh, Wayne does what he always does. He pokes fun at this guy. That's what the show is all about. But it pisses off Benjamin and the rest of the crew, and there's tension, and Wayne is forced to leave. And that's what happens. Like, and as Neko said, like these guys are very lovable people who just want to do their thing. They don't. They don't even. They like the money, obviously, that they're being thrown. And at. trust me, they were given like a fraction of what they're worth. Right. But to them, five thousand bucks each was like heaven. And for Wayne, who wanted a specific guitar, it's like, yeah, dude, I'm going in. I'm buying this shit. <laughs> So, but the point is, like, there's a lot of humor. Wayne obviously has a love interest that he gets involved with who also has a tie-in with Benjamin because he's trying to, again, capitalize on that uh, behind his back and whatnot. But it's very funny. There's actually one guy in the crew who I had to point out to Neko was in Gilmore Girls. And she freaked the fuck out. She's like, oh my god, that is him. And you said he was an Encino man, too. Yes, he's the main... Like the bully? Douche, yeah, the douchebag guy in that. He's like... <laughs> you know? So, it's fun for me because I, even then, like, back then, I probably wouldn't have remembered it watching that movie. But now, when I see... Like, even though I don't watch Gilmore Girls all that much, I know who he is from Encino Man, so, like, I'm like, dude, that's that dude, and he just had different hair, um, but it's always fun, and plus, for me, like, the thing about Wayne's World, as well, is at the time, is not people get much credit for its soundtrack, and it has a very mm. strong soundtrack, and, uh, you have, like, Gary Wright's Dreamweaver on there, Black Sabbath, uh, in there, Dehumanized, um, Mark Ferrari's yeah, Alice Cooper and Mark Ferrari is one of the guitarists in the girls' band that uh, Wayne takes interest in, and so there's just a lot of great tracks on there, and people don't often remember that soundtrack because you know you got the Crow that came out about three or four years later, and Demon Knight and stuff like that. So when we talk about great soundtracks, that one doesn't get brought up as much, but it has a very good. Uh, You and I were commenting on that too, like you know in movies when they're kind of like going in between scenes and you hear like background music again in Wayne's World we're like holy crap we love this song and you forget that the songs are in there because they're not like the full frontal and the one thing that you and I everybody hopefully remembers in Wayne's World is the uh, epic Bohemian Rhapsody Mm -hmm. car ride and the one um that song went up to number one in the billboard charts back in 92 20 or yeah 20-ish years after it already was a hit because of that scene where they're all in the gremlin and they pop in the tape and they start like headbanging to bohemian rhapsody i I was joking with Anubis because I love I love that there's a tape player in the Gremlin and then when uh, Wayne upgrades he gets himself <laughs> a little CD player and we remember this. <laughs> he velcroed it to the top yeah. of the stash. <laughs> like we remember this. We remember where it was like you have a tape player oh 
oh, now you have the CD Walkman, but you have to put the little adapter in, and I, I feel like they just, they're, nowadays you just don't appreciate, like, what it used to be. Oh, God, I'm so fucking old. Just shoot me right now. But, you know, you get a lot of great cameos. Ed O'Neill from Mary with Children was in there. Uh, Chris Farley from Tommy Boy uh, is in there as well. Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Uh, musically is in there. We said Allison Cooper was there as well. Um, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Lara Flynn Boyle plays a, a ex-girlfriend of Wayne's who... And she's so fucking funny. Yeah. Like, so, she's so clueless and funny, which makes it even better. But the movie itself is just timeless. And, and I, even the second one, I, if I remember correctly, is not too bad either. So maybe sometime I'll revisit that one as well. But the first one, I just, as you get back to the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, it was everybody I knew. And I was about 22 then. Everyone I knew, when that song came on, when we had the soundtrack and everything, we were all doing the headbanging. Yeah, you're like, let's mm-hmm. put in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Like I did, I didn't have a car back in '92 because I was 12. So, but it really. Kind I am not a pedophile. I'm not a cat. He's not a cat. He's not a pedophile. I met him when I was 21. <laughs> but I um I remember there were a couple of guys that I went to school with, and um, you know you, I played band in high school, or excuse me, middle school, but not in high school, and we had a couple of guys who played the piano, and they started, and this is 92, so I'm, I'm in middle school, so when Wayne's World came out, and they're like, oh, look, Josh knows how to play Bohemian Rhapsody, he became, like, the hot shit, they're like, Josh knows how to play Bohemian Rhapsody, oh my god, like, I, I find it super endearing that a song again this is back in the 90s but the song was made back in the 70s and we still love the song and it's 2021 it's a it just shows the people who made Wayne's World they wanted it to be funny clearly but they also kind of wanted it to be timeless just like Bohemian Rhapsody they wanted people to look at this even if they're older than us, like my, I feel like my mom and dad would probably say, I remember being in my, my late teens, early twenties, going to the get, the get quote unquote gaslight or doing whatever they, when they made this movie, they wanted you to feel like I'm capturing my adult youth before I had responsibilities. And they wanted you to, to like hear the music and kind of like create that that little heartstring, that that little pull, to say, listen, these are great songs, and they're just gonna like stick with you forever. And even though I was only twelve when I saw this for the first time, I still have beautiful fond memories of Wayne's World. And well, when you and I first got together, you said that was one of your favorite films. So. Yeah, it was. All right, well, let's get back into some music now. <laughs> Angelus uh, Patrida kicking off the next block, Childhood's End. Is that reminiscent? <laughs>
This is Anime from Darken and you are listening to the Halls of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ New is back here with you and his sidekick, Nico. Alright, so actually the two topics we're going to get to, you're the one that came up and found them, so I'm going to let you take the reins and bring them up and talk about them. So let's hear it. So the Mahoning Drive-In Theater is not close to us, but it's not unbelievably far. It's maybe about three and a half hours from us. And we actually watched a documentary on this drive-in because as movies have been going more into the digital world, the Mahoning drive-in, it was a very old drive-in and they didn't have the funds to just be like, yeah, we're going fully digital. So they stuck with film and they've been doing a really good job because they have like a nice cult following and so Anubis and I were always like we got to get up there we got to because they always have like horror weekend and it just again it's not super close to us but it's not like a terrible drive however because he and I are big fans of uh, Joe Bob and we're fans on Facebook of the Mahoning Theater. I it kind of popped up on my Facebook feed that the Mahoning Drive-In Theater is going to have a Joe Bob Briggs and Last Drive-In. Um, they didn't say what the movies were, but it's going to be an event. Yeah, it's a three-day event. Uh, Joe Bob's going to be there. Darcy's going to be there now. Some people may not even know who they are, but Joe Bob was the guy that, much like Elvira and some of these other uh, TV hosts from the, the heyday, where they would get on TV, and in case of Joe Bob, he did Monster Vision on TNT back in the 90s. Oh, yeah! So, that's how he became a, a household name, by showcasing all these horror movies and stuff, and then he kind of retired and then Shudder got together and brought him back and he just got this new and they've been emergence. Just, yeah, we've watched his, his shows. We've watched his live streams and stuff. We just did one for Valentine's Day, which was great. And we love Joe Bob. We love the whole idea about it. So, it's April. Hold on, hold on, hold on. April. I don't know. What, this thing? Mm-hmm. It says July sixteenth oh, through the eighteenth. Yeah. Tickets will go on sale in, in April, April. So yeah. So as soon as they go on sale in April, we're gonna buy them, even if I don't know what my life is like in April. And if Anubis has to take a friend instead of me, we're gonna go. You're gonna be here. I'll be here. Well, I will be here. You know, spoiler spoiler alert. New job, but new job. We uh, we're gonna do this three-day weekend up in 
the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, and we are just super excited. I, we really don't care about the cost or anything. We're just... I mean, obviously, we don't If know. it's a million dollars, we're not going to go. Well, no, but I mean, with COVID, we don't know exactly how it's going to be. Uh, if they do it through, like, via stay-in-your-car type thing, great. Like, right now, we have a drive-in near us that's been operating uh, even during COVID with, like, certain rules. So, I mean, they could probably still do it with no problem. Um, obviously, if it's, as she said, if it's, like, 500 bucks a ticket, I'm not paying that. But I can't imagine it's going to be that much. I really can't. Uh, but I think it would be a lot of fun and it'd be a little bit of a road trip. We probably have to stay at a hotel for a couple of days, which is fine. They offer, like, camping. So, if you're going up there and you have an RV or, or if you're just going to sleep in your fucking car, they offer, like, a camping ticket, too, where it's like, okay, here, you can camp here for the night. I don't, I don't think it's going to be expensive. I just hope that when the tickets go on sale that we're fast enough yeah, to that, Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, he is very popular. Now, granted... He's popular across the U.S. and the world, so it's not like everybody can get, you know, you, no one's going to pay for airline tickets to come over for a three-day weekend. I mean, maybe they do it, but uh, the cool thing is if we manage to score a couple of tickets, it'd be a lot of fun. Like, this guy is really nice, and the girl that, his male girl, Darcy, is really fun. She's very active on Twitter, and whenever they do their live events on TV, they're interactive they talk to the the fans like darcy sent out like 600 valentine's day cards to some of the fans that wanted it and i think that's just that's a lot of time consuming and nice to do they just do it because they are they're appreciative they, yeah, they did they, like we saw a few months back or not really a few months but a few weeks back when joe bob had another thing going on for christmas i think and they had like an auction so it was kind of cool they were doing this whole like what's the show uh that they sell things on that, like qvc yeah they were kind of doing it like that and so they had like little memorabilia that they were bringing up to sell and, and Darcy, some of this more memorabilia was like really rare too yeah and they made bank like they were kind of surprised themselves how much money they made. I don't, I don't know if it was for charity or something. It, it was for charity, so everything went to charity. And the funny thing was they had an eBay, you know, account. And the eBay account blocked them because they were a new eBay account. And they are like, you can't have this much activity. So they had to create a second eBay account so, yeah. so that they could con complete their auctions. And everything they did was for a different charity. So, like, hour number one was for, I don't know, like, domestic violence. And hour number two was St. Jude's. And they were, they, every, every little item that they, they found, and I don't know how they found some of these items, because some of them were, like, in mint condition, in boxes that have never been opened. And... Well, I think some of them just from their personal collections, um... 
Darcy was certainly <laughs> Joe Bob was bringing out stuff like he tried, but like it was just stuff nobody really cared about that much. Even though people would still bought it, like he he'd bring something that you'd be like, oh, that's like worth five bucks, but people would pay almost five thousand dollars for it. And it was it was because pretty, it was his. Yeah, it was pretty awesome to see that they they raised. I think they said that they raised over forty five thousand dollars for their charities, and that's amazing and just a testament to their fans for bidding yeah. on everything they were literally blown away like they did not expect that kind of like turnout but the thing is uh just like any kind of fandom joe bob's fans are rabid like they just they really we love what he's doing uh and, and again like if you're not familiar he will play a show or movie on his his channel live and then like in between segments will like comment on what's going on but he, he the cool thing about him and i don't know if elvira was ever this detailed but joe bob has like all the research like on who directed well, he know he knows a lot of the people and he puts himself like in yeah. the entire thing because he has been in things too right which we kind of like joke about and see hogzilla hogzilla oh my god but, uh, yeah, he's good friends with Felisa Rose, who is, uh, her notoriety, of course, is playing Angela in Sleepaway Camp. For those that have never seen that, you need to see it. Uh, but she's really fun. She's, uh, great. She loves everything about horror. She visits their set occasionally. Chris Jericho has been on the set before, a wrestler. Uh, so it's a lot of blast, a lot of great stuff going on. And we're just really, really fortunate that it's only a drive away, like... Yeah, we're talking maybe three hours, you know. But, uh, either way, for us, that this is the kind of stuff we like. It's drive-ins, which we we have one close to us that we go and to And that's where we go and see most of our movies, is the drive-in. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean, if fucking MK and fucking Godzilla and Kong go there, we're going ahead. Well, that's where we saw the, the first Godzilla movie. Yeah. Uh, we saw Avengers there a couple times. Uh, we watched that like Harry three Potter. Times. Yeah, yeah. We love we love drive-ins, and with the COVID world, drive-ins have been actually doing kind of okay because you can you can go and go to a drive-in and stay in your car. But even if you're going to the bathroom or if you're going to get a snack. It's easy to say, hey, we only allow 10 people in the snack hut, so back up. And it's, I think that drive-ins are making a comeback. I've seen over the summer, there were some people who, multiple couples who have gotten married at drive-ins. So, because of COVID, they can't have their big wedding they wanted, but... It's outside, everybody's in their car, and they could do the the vows kind of, like, up on a stage. And then everybody could honk and, like, woo-woo, and you can drop off your gift. And then, you know, go about your day. Still have a nice, memorable, clearly memorable wedding, but it's not, like... We're, we have been invited to a wedding recently, and we both really want to go, but we're kind of like, 
you know, with my mom and her health, we don't feel like it's a good idea, even though they're following COVID protocols and they're under the 50%, you know, occupancy, whatever. When you're doing this thing and you're in your car by yourself and you're doing like a wedding, it's a lot. I, I, I don't want to say this could be the future of events, but it might be the future of events. And it looked so much fun because everybody was able to enjoy the wedding, but it was like, I'm at a wedding at a drive-in. The other thing to consider is one reason why we like the drive-in is because the, the amount of money you pay to see one movie in a regular theater, we can go to the drive-in and catch at least two or three movies for the same price. Exactly. And it's not, and it's not like... Always, like... And even their snack bar prices are way cheaper than, like, the regular theater. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, granted, with everything that's going on with COVID, things might go up a little bit. But either way, they still play no less than two movies per night that they're up. So, it's like... And cartoons yeah. and, like, little, like, All side the, things. Like, the, the old Three Stooges. Stuff, yeah. yeah. We... If you've never been to a drive-in and you like Joe Bob... You have to go to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater's weekend extravaganza. Except for you don't buy it because we need to buy it first. Yeah, don't, don't go Yeah, there. we're going first. Go somewhere else. Yeah, it's us first. Alright, so what's the other story you got for us regarding Soundgarden? And oh, shit! Yeah, I just read about this, like, literally today. So, um... Chris Cornell's widow, um... She is suing Soundgarden because, as the widow of Chris Cornell, she is the one who's entitled to, like, the royalties and stuff, and apparently they have been in a battle for the last two years over who owns what, and so Soundgarden, minus Chris Cornell, you know, the rest of the band offered her like I think it was something like three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And she was kind of appalled, like, you know, this is my husband's band. I don't think that that number encompasses what he's done and as the rightful heir to Chris Cornell, I do not feel like three hundred thousand dollars is right because they want her to release the rights to the band of Chris Cornell, which means if she if she signs this agreement, let's say Soundgarden blows up again, or let's say Soundgarden gets like a commercial or gets into a movie where there's residuals, et cetera, et cetera. This is like a total business type like deal. So. Yeah, see, here's an interesting thing. Cornell's complaint states that she was forced to file a lawsuit after making two counteroffers mm -hmm. to the band. On December 17, 2020, she counteroffered Thiel, Cameron, and Shepard, these are the other band members, $4 million each for their collective interest in Soundgarden. The band subsequently rejected the offer, stating they had no interest in it because their interests represent their creative life's work. Cornell then offered each member $7 million, which they rejected, so... She's already offered them seven million apiece. That's fourteen million dollars she's willing to give up, and, and they keep in mind rejected that, it. Uh, the music investor, 
who's interested in their master catalog is only offering 16 million so that's probably what she's going after as far in terms of how she's splitting it up so judging that depending on what other offers they could get that's more than fair for the other band members now i know they've been around for a while but they haven't put music out in the last 10 or 15 years so there's nothing else for them to really capitalize on except for the past works now i don't know what soundgarden made during her heyday like i obviously they made money while they were touring and you have to think about like if we're if we're thinking about today's you know technological they have a lot of spotify plays they got a lot of residuals whatever they have used i mean black hole sun was used and used Uh and used and used in movies and etc so there's residuals that are coming in the band is trying to buy out chris cornell's widow and she knows that there is there's worth and she isn't lowballing them. They're really lowballing her. She's like, I'm not going to take what you're offering, but I'll offer you, you know, seven mil- What was it? Seven million? Or- the last one she made yeah, was seven million. Seven million dollars to each of the other me- members. And they are only willing to say 300,000. So she had to go and actually file a lawsuit so that she can protect her her late husband's name and protect the business too because if she gives up these rights Oh, see now this this is the other issue. Uh-oh. In December 2019, Vicky Cornell sued to remain members of Soundgarden over missing royalty payments. Last February, the band filed a response saying that the recordings tied to those royalties are property of the band. Well, her husband was the band. Yeah, her husband was the band. She's the heir. So, technically, she is, you know, due those royalties. So, I don't know. Again, I don't know all the jargon or the writing of how the shit was set up, but I can see why she would be complaining about it. If royalties are supposed to come to Chris Cornell... Even though he's he's dead and gone, that doesn't mean that the band gets to take it all from him. That's, well, that's why she was like, "I'll give you seven million, and we'll leave it at that." Mm-hmm. Like they were trying to buy her out of three hundred thousand, and she's like, "No, no, 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 no." It's it's not so much about being greedy, but it's almost sounding like the other members of the band hate her. For, for whatever reason. Sounds like it. Yeah, she's Some like... Some sort of bitterness Yeah, there. she's like the Yoko Ono or whatever. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, right. But she, as the widow, and she's she was married to Chris Cornell for a bit, so she is entitled to that part of Soundgarden. And she was willing to negotiate with them, but they're, they don't feel like whatever her negotiation was is acceptable so that's why she's going to court over it and you know the other members of Soundgarden might actually lose out on this because she offered them quite a bit of money well they're gonna have a piece of the pie the the issue is gonna come down to how much of it like but you know again it's all about wording Um, whenever they signed all their contracts and you know let's say when Chris and them signed it that he said that well if I should I die my royalties would not go to my wife or siblings it will go to the band so if that wording's in there then Vicky has no case however more times than not 
it's usually like going to the it spouse. It goes to the spouse, right. yeah. So it, it's just going to depend when they get there. And like, obviously, if she's suing, I mean, she thinks she has a good case. So we'll see how that plays out and get back to you all with that. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. It's sad just because, you know, when someone like Chris Cornell was a great singer and artist dies, you hate to kind of see this, but this shit happens a lot with these bands. Especially because. <clears throat> When you become big like Soundgarden, you yes, you are a band, but you're also a business. So anything that happens within the band, anything that is creative turns into like this is a small business. So I I also heard that they're going to be releasing some unreleased Chris Cornell songs. And that's another thing that Vicky kind of is like, you know, the this is my husband's unreleased songs that you're putting out there and making money off of. So why are you trying to buy me out for like the cost of a house when I know that you're gonna sell a lot of this and on I mean larger bands like Soundgarden or Guns N' Roses, A C D C, etc. etc on Spotify, they get a lot of play, so they get a lot of residuals. And I don't think that Vicky is trying to be, you know, vindictive, selfish right. or, or vindictive. She's like, this is my husband's band, so why am I being alienated from this business decision? I hope this does not end up being like a terrible you know courtney love situation but you, you just don't know i mean when you mix friends and you know lost ones with well it gets nasty I it mean, does this band was a band that kind of split up and then you know chris went to do audio slave and the other guys went to do their own thing so who knows what the issue was before when they split up initially anyway, but anyway, we'll keep an eye on that and keep you all updated on any news that we get with that. Got some new stuff from Terradome, Black Hole Deity, Deception. Uh, we're going to kick it off with Valgrind. Also got some stuff from uh, Horror Pain in there with some Mausoleum, which is really cool. But here's Valgrind from the Viscera of Darkness, and we'll be back. Yeah. 
quite simply to help me find out the truth. What truth? The truth about my death. What happened to me, Rosie? What happened that night? I want to know. You've got to help me find that out.
you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
Yes! Terror Dome, possessed by Blot. I, I really like it when you get the... Ugh! The, uh, get over here! Get over! My interpretation of Scorpion. Yes, Mortal Kombat trailer is hot, baby. It's hot on the burner. Dude, it is on everything. I can't go on any social media without it being like Every hey. single motherfucker that we know is like reposting the trailer. We, all the people we follow that do their YouTube channels like Fat Samurai Guy and Lady Fat Blood just put out their reaction video. Everybody is all over this shit like flies on shit. But for good reason. It looks really fucking good. Like, it's hard. So I'm going to be the contrarian. Remember when we thought that Suicide Squad looked really good? <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> That's the thing. That, and, 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 well, Lady Fat Blood was hinted. She's like, I just hope it lives up to this. Because that's really the fact. Because like when we saw Suicide Squad, I was like, "This is gonna be one of the we, best movies like, ever." We saw they and they were smart. They didn't put out a hundred different, you know, fucking previews. We saw it. We were excited, and we watched the movie, and we're like, "Uh." It's a funny thing about teaser trailers, though. I mean, like the way they do them, a lot of times they work out very well. I think of when Godzilla fourteen did it, two thousand fourteen. It was really simple, but so effective. You and I were just, like, mm -hmm. going nuts. Everybody was going nuts when it first came out. Uh, Watchmen, same thing. Teaser trailer. Not all the other ones. Just and the teaser. other thing, too, with us, with the Watchmen, you and I had nothing connected to the Watchmen. We, we never read it. We Nothing about it. We didn't care. But the, the trailer? Yeah. Shit. The way they did it, the, the music. The, Who watches the what? Like, even for... You, uh, you, he still has the trailer on a DVD because he likes to watch the Watchmen trailer every now and then. And it's not, I mean, I'm sure you could find it on YouTube or whatever. Oh, yeah, but, it's on YouTube. But he burned it to DVD while <coughs> it was coming out. He's like, I need to keep this trailer because this trailer is so fucking good. And that's the thing, like... The music for Muse that's on there, which I eventually found. But same thing for Suicide Squad. They, I was so entranced by the music they used. And I, when I finally looked it up, whoever the artist was had done a, a cover of ABBA song. Like, I just, like, I didn't, oh no, BG song. It was a BG song. I'm like, I like the original version. I went back and listened to the original version. It doesn't even hold water to what they did with the, the trailer. But, like, I'm like, that's pretty fascinating to me, the way they did it, because it's a totally different beat. Uh, but, yeah, when these teaser trailers get released, that's how they hook you. And same thing with King of the Monsters, same fucking thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when they first put up But that's why I'm saying, like, I am going to limit my trailer viewing from here on out until I die. I'm going to watch <laughs> one trailer, and that's it. See, I, the funny thing about me is, like, a lot of people got burned out on King of the Monsters. And I, I agree, they had probably two too many trailers. Because I think eventually they released, like, four of them. They which had, is like, really... They which had, is, like, the Somewhere of the Ring Yeah, it was, it got it so was ridiculous. Like, getting, it was getting pretty deep. Right, so, even if they release another Kong versus Godzilla or 
Mortal Kombat. Like, I'll probably watch them. Like, see, I'm just so much of a diehard that I'm going to watch shit anyway. I'm just, that's how we are. And she's going to watch it anyway, too, but... Not, not the trailer, but the movie. Oh, I watched the movie, yeah. Right, so, but, like, I don't get as burnt out as much, but I, when I look back on King of the Monsters, I'm saying to myself, why so many? It didn't make any sense. Uh, and I, and I kind of felt the way you did. Like, there's just no point in putting any more out after the first two. It just made no sense. Um, but they were pushing that fucking shit hard, and unfortunately, you were giving up everything in the ghost. Like, I'm like... Alright, we know these characters are in this. We don't need to see any more of it. Let's just get on with the fucking movie. They... And this came... They and this, spoiled too much of the movie in the trailer. Right, so... Uh, at least with Godzilla and Kong, they're kind of like... They're just pitting each other against each other, but we don't really know any more beyond that. And we don't need to know any more beyond that. We just need to see what's going to happen. And I told him... He's like, you have to watch this trailer. And I'm like, I don't want to watch it. I just want to watch the movie. And he's like, just watch one trailer. I said, okay. That was the first one. One trailer. I will not watch another trailer because I feel like because of King of the Monsters. Yeah, the King of the Monsters. I watched every trailer and I was so like just ingrained in all of it. So now for the next one. No trailers. I watched the first one. That's all I need. When it comes out, I'll watch it. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone who's tuned in. Uh, Kevin, again, thanks for the request. We appreciate it, buddy. Kevin's our biggest fan. He's awesome. We love him. He has good, always leaves us great feedback, and that's what we want. I uh, hope you're all enjoying the topics. We try to keep up, especially with the movie reviews we're doing now. So... Uh, I have a movie in mind for next week, but it may change. It just depends. I know Neko haven't seen it, and I, I try to... I don't want her to get to the point where she's not paying attention, because I need her to pay attention. Well, I'm paying attention to the replacement killers. Oh, I know. I know. But, you, when but I, showed, I, I love shit like that, though. I love martial arts. When I showed you the movie that I plan on, you're like, mm, mm, Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> it was so terrible. But, but, I, but I need her to like pay attention, because I've only seen this movie once, and it was on YouTube, so now I have the actual DVD. Uh, oh. Alright. Yeah, so... This is the thing, like, again, we're doing this, it doesn't matter what her verdict is, it could be like, this movie is shit, shite, shite, movie is shite, terrible, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I told her a little bit of the backstory, I'll probably have her look it up a little more, some reviews, because the description on the box, it tells you a little bit, but not enough, so she'll probably have to, like, check I, it out. I, what I found interesting about that movie, um... When you showed me when when the DVD came in the mail, you're like, it's an older movie, but you're like, it was like totally controversial, passe and controversial, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try because back in the '70s, this movie Anubis wants to show me is it ha- has to deal with the church. So, like, back in the 70s when fucking... Non-exploitation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, um... Oh, Jesus Christ, what's that movie I'm thinking about? What what do you mean? Like, another movie like that? I'm gonna smack myself. I can't think of the movie I'm thinking about. 
Needless to say, though, it's it's. I wouldn't waste your time with movies like Sallow or Serpentine Film. Well, I watch them both, and they, I know. And I don't even own them, but the point is, like, it's it's controversial, but it's not that kind of controversial. It's totally different. The Exorcist. Sorry, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it it it's controversial in the church, right, right, version, and that's why, like, the movie he's talking about for next week, it's a big deal. It's older. It's a seventies movie. And The Exorcist, yeah, it, it it was scary, but the reason it was so controversial is because of the whole, like, Catholic spin mm-hmm. on it. And that's what he's trying to to tell me. Like, this movie is, like, super controversial because... Yeah, it's so controversial that, like, there's, like, a literal uncut version out there somewhere, but it's so difficult to he find. He had to order it from Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I've got a, a version of it, so we'll see how it goes. Um, it tells me that it has like two different versions on it, so we'll just see if I actually have the version because there's there's always a talk about like this should be in the movie, not this. But when I watched it on YouTube, I'm almost 100% guaranteed that I saw the uncut version, but now you can't find it at all. So whenever whoever had it took it off or it got removed. Uh, so... Either way, most of the content will be there, but the whole idea is for her to kind of see what I'm talking about with, like, why it's so controversial. But I, I actually, I, from what I remember, it was very enjoyable just because I'm like, wow, they really went there with that? Oh, wow, they went there with that? Oh, this is great. <laughs> you know, so it, it... And for me, growing up Catholic, the whole Catholic guilt and the nuns and the priests, and it's like, you're, oh... Yeah, if I ever showed her Beyond the Convent Walls, which is another one of those type of movies where the chick's using a a, a wooden uh, dildo that she made and put the picture of Christ on the end of it so she can see herself in the mirror as she's doing it. Like, that was something that was done on film. Like, it wasn't even a porn. It was just done on film like that. So you see parts of that, and I'm just like, wow. So it's like some of this stuff for me is more of just not even nostalgic because I never saw them when they got released. I never saw them when I was a kid. But as you know, she was out doing her work thing. I was spending a lot of time watching movies, and we have all these apps, and finally checking this shit out for the first time. I'm like, well, you know, this is very cool, and be actually kind of fun to have it on DVD because I can always go back and say, you want to see something fucking freaky? Check this shit out. Check this out. So anyway, I uh, think I think sometimes. Um, because it's an older movie. Oh my goodness. Our cat's hungry. I hope you didn't hear that. That was our cat. That wasn't a spirit being like Scorpion's invoked. not here. So, sometimes with older movies like The Exorcist, like the movie we're talking about for next week, back to our conservative, you know, pearl-clutching Rush Limbaugh, it, it kind of freaks people out when i mean nowadays the shit that is on movies you're like oh yeah movies blood gore whatever back in the day it was like so passe to go against the church mm-hmm. and that's that's why the exorcist was a big deal besides being it yeah. scary the but exorcist like literally freaked people out in real life to the point that like they wanted to ban it from because they really thought the shit going on on film was real they really thought it was real and it wasn't just so much that it was like scary and ghosts and stuff they're like this is you know this is 
Christ, this is Catholic, this is blah, blah, blah. And basically, you don't have, you know, you, obviously Reagan, the demon leaves Reagan, but the reality is that the priests really didn't win. They all died in the process. So, the Catholic Church looks at it like, oh, well, you can't be having that because that makes God, like, weak. Like, you know. Exactly. They're like, it, it, it was kind of like spitting in the face of the Catholic Church. So, again, this is back in the 70s. It was same with his movie that he wants us to watch next week. You're like, you have to put yourself in the mindset of movies before, like, Jurassic Park, Avatar, anything that had all these great special effects or anything that would happen, like, what's, uh, Saw. So, you start thinking, like, okay, this is the 70s. And there are people back then who are still so tied to their religion that even watching something that is pretend is almost like giving you a heart attack. Be I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I, I got the one thing I had to do before we're done. Like after I'm done with the show today is make sure my DVD plays in a player. That was one of the issues I ran into with the last one I ordered. It might play down here in the older one. No, no, no. This one should play up there. That was the whole point because the one I had, there was codec problems, but now that we have internet, that, that might have been part of the problem I didn't have the update. However, uh, there's another movie around the late 70s called The Beast and it gets back to what Neko was saying is that it, it was so offensive. Like, you, we think of Salo, which was done in the 70s, but we think of Serbian film. They're offensive in their own ways, but, like, the beast itself, like, I have no interest in owning that particular film, but I remember watching it and saying to myself, how did this director get away with putting this on film on a mainstream fucking theater? Exactly! I mean, it, it was showcasing bestiality, even though it was a guy in a suit. It was basically a porn... With a guy in a suit banging this chick and literally spewing on her. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say they were showing the, the money shots on the face and the did the wolf, the whatever, beast dick. And I'm like, I can't believe they got away with doing that. And like, of course, he took a lot of heat from critics and everything else, but this movie that we're going to say The Devils is what it's called. It's not like that, but it does push boundaries, and especially with the religion, and that's what we're getting at. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how me watching it for another time, and then, of course, Neko checking out for the first time, how it, how it, how it actually was controversial and where it stands. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say this is a movie that I should enjoy. Like, The Replacement Kills or something I could watch 20,000 times a year. Devils is something I break out once in a while because I, I just I, I can appreciate it, what it was it, doing. It, it's heavy, yeah, but it's impactful, right? So it's just one of those things. I think we'll enjoy. It. It's gonna be, it's more for us now at this point. It's gonna be more about talking about it rather mm -hmm. than what's really in it because. And I think for us too, being so many years, many many years removed from its original release date, we can kind of understand that people back in the 70s when it was... Re was it the 70s? Yeah, 1971 yeah. or 72. So yeah. you think of people back in the 70s when it was originally released, you're kind of like, how hard was it for them to, like, swallow this? Because nowadays, I feel like... I mean, I really do feel like people are more open-minded and they're not so, like... 
I, I don't married to the church. Back then, it was like, okay, so we're going to get you, you're a Catholic girl, you, you go to Catholic school, you go to Catholic high school, you, you do all this stuff and you're a good girl. It's not so much like that anymore, at least around here. Uh, we've, we, we've kind of fallen from that because a lot of our schools around here specify in, like, if you're science or math or technology, whatever. Back in the day around here, it was like, you're Catholic, you go to Catholic elementary school, you go to Catholic high school, and then you go to a Catholic college. Well, let's save this discussion for when we see the movie. All right, yeah, because I haven't seen it Because we are it really, we're yeah, really we're, I'm blowing you away. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm That's sorry. That's all right. Um... Yeah, so appreciate everything from the promotional sites, uh, Metal Devastation Radio, Horror Pain, Mike Giuliano, appreciate it, Hard Life Promotions, Grand Sounds Promotion on Quabar PR for selected tracks this week. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. And our cat is really going off the rails oh my now. Gosh. I think it's possessed. Our cat is 17 pounds and she <laughs> thinks she never gets fed. It's ridiculous. She's the fattest fucking critter on the planet. All right, so one track left for you all this evening. It's Death Angel, Empty. See you all later. Appreciate it, and keep it metal. High fives all around.